This Boss Barista episode is brought to you by Ernex. If you've worked in the coffee industry, you probably know Ernex well. You've used their products to clean your equipment. You've attended an event that they've supported. You're probably even using Kefiza at home to clean your pots and pans. One of Ernex's latest advances is a range of environmentally friendly cleaners called BioCaf. BioCaf products are made entirely from plant and mineral-based ingredients and are fully biodegradable. They're available for both commercial and household coffee equipment, so you can use them at the cafe just as easily as you can use them at home. But Ernex is doing more than just making eco-friendly cleaners. They've partnered with people like me and several other coffee professionals to highlight some of the best sustainability efforts in the industry with the BioCaf Sustainability Series. I'm super excited to be part of this initiative and to have another platform to share my thoughts on topics like sustainability. Visit the Ernex website to read my recent piece on Onyx Coffee Labs switch to oat milk in their latest cafe and learn more about BioCaf by visiting www.ernex.com. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I didn't realize it until I re-listened to this episode. I was sitting at my desk, transcribing, and I came to a point where as I was listening, I sat back and I thought, whoa, these are two very vulnerable people. My guest today is Sierra Yao founder of The Core Directive, and the coffee specialist for Alpro, a UK-based company that specializes in plant-based products. I've known of Sierra for a long time, and I think talking to her showed me something that I didn't think I could miss so stupendously, that there's a lot of pain and anger fueling some of the most positive and uplifting people that you know. Sierra talks about the eight years it took for her to navigate her career. And that's an important number to remember as you listen. There's discussion of her work with Alpro and the future of plant milk, but I think this conversation boils down to the sadness that you sometimes forget that you feel. The sadness that I forgot that I feel. Every time I write something or I post on Instagram, or even when I reflect back on my own past experiences and issues with bosses or coworkers or customers, there's always a moment where I doubt myself. I ask a question that Sierra asks in this episode. Is this real? Am I imagining it? Did I take something the wrong way on purpose? Did my boss really do that thing that I now feel so angry about. These moments of doubt don't always make it beyond my brain, but we really lean into that feeling in this episode. I hope listening to this validates the imperfect path that we all take to find our voices and stand up for ourselves. Here's Sierra. We're here. We're live. Woo! Uh, woo, we did it. 
Sierra, could I have you introduce yourself to state your full name and what you do? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Sierra Yeo. Um, I am the coffee specialist for Alpro UK, uh, which is a plant-based products company. Um, and we've been uh, we've been in the business for 40 years now, I think maybe going 41. Um, so a long time. And um, in whatever time I have left, I am a cat mom, <laughs> first and foremost. Um, I'm also the founder of The Core Directive, which is a, a diversity, equity and inc- inclusivity um, organization in the coffee industry here in the UK. Uh, and I am also a freelance writer for coffee magazines all over the world and a Q grader as well. What, what a resume. I feel like I, if I had a job to offer you, I'd just give it to you right now. Please give me a job. I want to live in the States. I, like I say this all the time. Like I, I have such an affinity for, um, for the States, for New York. I used to live there a little bit when I was younger and um in the states not in new york but i love new york um and just like i I visited a couple times and just thought wow like the coffee scene there is incredible i keep in contact with a lot of friends from uh from the states and the coffee world as well and just think oh man in another life in another life you still have time there's time i know i know and people mistake me for american anyway i have this weird hybrid accent so it's just yeah (laughs) Tell, tell me a little bit about your background. Let's start specifically in coffee. How did you get involved in coffee and what were your, some of your first memories of coffee? Yeah, sure. Um, so, oh my gosh, I mean, everyone has to pay the bills and I think that's just kind of how it started. Um, I was at university. Um, so I, so I was born in Singapore, but then I flew to the United Kingdom for university. I read linguistics, um, and I needed a part-time job to pay the rent. So I ended up in like a, I think I started out in a dinky little deli cafe bar type things, you know, the one of like the sandwich counters and stuff and um, wasn't allowed on the machine uh, because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, And then one day the barista needed like a, needed a cover because she needs to go to the toilet. And I was like, all right, I guess I, I won't set the shop on fire. Uh, I didn't. And then that was pretty much the start of my my love affair with coffee, and then kind of worked my way up uh, into, I suppose, more specialty coffee shops. And that was really when specialty started taking off. Anyway, um, I would probably say six five years ago, um, and it's just been full steam ahead ever since. Um, so then got moved up into like managerial roles and so on and so forth. One really notable gig was when I managed. Um, an internal affairs cafe uh, in Facebook, in the Facebook headquarters um, in London, in Oxford Circus. So that was super fun. Um, but then this gig at Alpro came up and I was like, you know, I'd love to stay behind the bar, but then there's also more things to discover. So then I thought plant-based, uh, well, the plant-based world was a really interesting segue and a really in- interesting tangent to to go into. And that's how I am where I am at the moment, which is, which is, uh, which I'm loving. So I think that's a really amazing trajectory. And I think I love that you mentioned the idea of having like a, a challenge or doing something new. But at the same time, when I think about milk, especially in the coffee industry, Sometimes I tell people, I'm like, I touch coffee maybe 10% of the time, and I touch milk about 90% of the time. Um, And it's funny how little I know about milk relative to coffee. Like, I could could spout 
facts and facts and facts about coffee. But sometimes when I'm talking about milk, I'm like, oh, my my knowledge is actually kind of incomplete about that. Um, and we're definitely going to talk a lot more about milk and plant-based milk specifically. Um, but I was wondering if you could set the scene a little bit for coffee in London, because I think when you said that the specialty coffee scene kind of boomed, like you were saying, five or six years ago, that might be surprising for people to hear. Um, and uh, yeah, so in London, um, the scene really peaked, I would say, um, or really started about 10, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, so you had your little independent cafes, um, opened up by, by for a notable example is, um, Proof Rock, which is in Chancery Lane in London. Uh, I used to work there for maybe six to eight months and that was opened by, um, Gwilym Davis and Jeremy Challenger, a uh, Challenger, Jeremy Challenger, um, both of whom have a lot of accolades to their name. I think um, Gwilym was World Barista Champion at one point. So you know, you you had people who were interested in the scene, a, a very small niche scene, but people were interested. And it's it's a far cry from where we are today, where you couldn't round another corner in London without stumbling on a new gem. You know, and um, and I think that that's just so wonderful because I think coffee is super accessible. It's an accessible luxury. Um, and, I, and I'm not just talking specialty, but commercial as well. It's such an affordable luxury that, that people find it very hard to um, step away from that. And I think we, for example, during the pandemic, we saw that like people weren't able to give up their coffee shops and really were mourning the loss of their, their local cafes. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So I, I, I definitely think that that, when I think of a scene in London, that's what I think of. It's it's very it's very saturated. It's very vibrant. Um, people are constantly innovating and coming up with new concepts, new ideas, um, new places, new ways to showcase coffee. And um, and I just think that's amazing. And and that's kind of what that's kind of what my world is like. Like being being able to visit um all these cafes as part of my role um as part of my day to day is is just such a joy. I do think that. It, more and more people don't have to seek the route that you know these these guys in the past had to where it was like oh oh if you're only super passionate about it if you're if you're if you've competed to a certain level then you're allowed to open a coffee shop i think now people are taking it upon themselves to say oh oh my gosh like i actually really like this product i'm very passionate about it there's tons of resources available online in person you know different courses different um programs that you can get certified on um and then saying, oh, I want to take my passion to the next level and basically expand the scene. And that's kind of how that, that I think the London scene specifically has bloomed. But also in other pockets in the United Kingdom, like Manchester is one of my favorite um, coffee cities ever. Um, I, I lived and worked there for a little bit, so it's always got a special place in my heart. But like Manchester, Sheffield, Bristol, Brighton, like all of these places have very um, happening coffee scenes and um yeah and, and they're doing such a great job as well so that's really cool I love the idea that the growth of specialty coffee isn't about saturation but it's more about accessibility and people saying this is a thing I really like I want to enter it um as opposed to kind of having almost like a I think it's easy to be negative when things get really popular. I think it's easy to be like, well, this was cool once. And I think that the coffee industry especially has been guilty of that in the past. And I think you even mentioned it. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to see you reflect on it as a, as a good thing. Like it's good that more people are able to enter the industry. It's good that more people are able to 
see their passion reflected in other coffee shops. And it's good that there's not just one way to enter the field that you can say like, hey, I didn't have to win a barista competition to oh my gosh, yeah, open a coffee shop. Yeah, but that was one of the biggest myths. And I think that that's why um, I, you know, I'm so passionate about my work with the core. Um, and that's that was one of the myths that I found so often debunked um, in, in my time as a barista. And because I, I think I hit a point in my career where I was struggling to kind of get anywhere. And I was like, well, I, 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 I know I'm good at what I do as a barista. I don't really have any desire to be a manager because I'm terrible at it. But, you know, I could probably move into a roastery, but I also don't really want to roast. Like, and there seems to be like, at least at the time for me, there, there seemed to be this mythical career ladder where it was like you would go you would go from front of house to barista to senior barista to head barista to like um manager to you know getting your foot in the door of a roastery you'd be a production assistant and then you work your way up to roasting I was like who do I know physically who has done that and the answer was you know whopping like zilch you know I, I, I didn't really know anyone who had fit that mold and a lot of the people that I look up to today who have, a, you know, a, astounding um, careers in coffee don't, it didn't work that way. They didn't work their way up that way. So um, that was one of the things that I found so key to debunk uh, with my work with the core. And a lot of the, you know, small business owners that we have as part of our community, a lot of the smaller roasters that we have as part of our community all kind of started out just liking the product and being like, okay, well, I'm not in this certified cool club how do i how do i make my way in this world and that was that was that that wasn't is the you know the community that we provide we say well come and join us we don't really know what we're doing either we'll figure it out so i know you've talked a little bit about the core directive and some of the reasoning behind why it was founded and what what the organization does but i was wondering if we could step back a little bit and talk about when the organization was founded it's sort of its principles you can give that the elevator pitch yeah oh my gosh yeah i and it's funny because this elevator pitch changes like all the time um <laughs> i'm ready for it i'm ready for it to be different even when like yeah. i release this episode later oh god yeah I, and i i think partially it's also down to my personal growth so the 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 way it started out was i was super salty <laughs> i was super salty after i left uh that's how boss barista was founded so don't worry yeah I, I, exactly right i mean and i feel like it it was good that you and i kind of channeled our anger into into something positive and i honestly do say to so many people that the core saved my life but um it basically started at when i left a really toxic uh place of work and had experienced all sorts of things from, I think, managerial bullying to um, racist incidents to, you know, just just really toxic work culture. Um, people were burning out left, right, center. People were leaving, you know, all the classic. I'm sure you know this, Ashley. Um, so all of that stuff and then just felt gaslit to high heaven because I was like, surely I can't be the only person finding this an issue. Um, at the end of the day, I was I was saying to myself, I need to I, you know, you need to take the step for yourself and, and step away from this job. It doesn't matter that you need to pay the bills. Um, you need to find a way to pay the bills different in a different way. It just needs to be done. So that happened. Um, I sank into uh, a major depressive episode for something like six months after that because I was so angry. And I don't know if you, you I'm sure you felt that way, Ashley, but like I felt so angry and disillusioned and disenchanted 
um, and was just like, there's got to be more than this. I don't want to give up a whole career in coffee just because this has happened. But by God, I was close. Um, and then I, you know, it, it, in time started to talk to more people and explain kind of my situation. You know, I was in between jobs at the time and started talking to more women and saying, you know, this is what I've experienced. And they were like, oh, okay, well, that's not new. Like I've experienced it too. And I was like, okay. So maybe after the first two women I spoke to, I was like, all right, yeah, maybe that's a coincidence. And then maybe after like the six or seven women I spoke to, I was like, right, okay, this is a thing. It's a thing. Um, and then that was kind of the impetus for it. And I said, okay, I want to create something, anything, like a space, an organization, a, I don't know, like a web server, a, a blog, whatever. Um, I want to create a space where we can collectively acknowledge um, that this is not fair to, to women specifically. And then that kind of broadened after our first, um, I think we did a launch party in November of 2018. It was like a soft launch. We wanted to see if anyone was interested in feminism and then holy crap, like 60 people turned up and I was like, whoa, okay, this has got traction. This has got legs. Um, and then we did our official, um, launch launch party in January of 2019 and that was also equally well attended and then from that point on um yeah I think people started being sold um you know to the idea that we were around we were, we were around to stay um and gradually we kind of worked our way into into magazines I I, I just tried to tap in as many of my connections as possible to to spread the word um, and then we started running events and that was kind of how we had started out, uh, just running, um, events based around accessibility, equity, inclusivity, um, and to try to get as many people as possible attending, um, that were not, and I hate, I, I use this a touch ironically, but not the norm, um, we wanted to get as many women, as many, um, people of color, um, as many marginalized folks down to our events as possible. And I, I think the general vibe that I've had from each of our events is, you know, if you have any questions, ask. There are no stupid questions. Um, so we've run the gamut of events from, I think we did, for example, a grinder maintenance workshop, an espresso maintenance, espresso machine maintenance workshop um, for women. Um, we've run a bring your own regular cupping so every barista that I attended had to bring two of their regular customers to learn more about coffee. So that was really cute. Um, we ran um, a alternative flavor wheel cupping where I think I chopped up something like 67 different fruits um, that weren't Eurocentric. So I got mm. to taste a lot of fruits from like my like from my home and stuff like that it was great. People were like, whoa, I've never tasted jackfruit. That wasn't in like a vegan steak. And I'm like, yeah, jackfruit's a fruit. Um and stuff like that. So that was brilliant. Um, and yeah, and, and I, I, I think the general theme that runs through what we do is, is to make coffee as welcoming as possible. It seems like, like that, like when you're talking about these events where, um, just going back to like the flavor wheel, because there's a, in general for coffee, there's this flavor wheel, I guess. I'm, I'm describing a flavor wheel by describing it as a flavor wheel, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But... <laughs> There's a whole like sector of different flavors that you can taste in coffee, and that's kind of a reference point that a lot of coffee tasters or uh, 
Q graders like you are used to describe coffee, but it is very Eurocentric and there are a lot of fruits that are not represented on the flavor wheel. So even just opening up the door for people to say like, hey, this is a tool that we use. However, it's very Eurocentric. Let's kind of expand that outward and see what happens um, is really interesting. Um, I'm also really struck just because I share this with you by how many things are started in anger and it's both a little bit funny and not yeah Um, because it's something you can reflect on and say like oh yeah that's right like I was really fucking angry when I started this thing but it's something when you go back on you say well why was I angry and how many people also feel the same anger that I do um and there's so much like you were hinting at, there's so much gaslighting that goes with these feelings of anger and disenchantment of like, am I the only person who feels this way? Do other people feel this way? I can't connect with other people to know if they feel this way because it's very taboo to talk about these things at work. Um, So I appreciate the fact that you were able to take some of that anger and almost not necessarily push past it because that anger is very valid and a lot of people feel it, but able to find a way to express it outward so that other people could identify with it, which is so hard because we are not set up to acknowledge like unfairness in others because we never really get the chance to talk about it at work. Yeah. And Does I that think, make sense? Oh my God. Perfect sense. And I feel like it's almost cathartic to hear you say it, you know? And I, and one thing that I think we both feel and, 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 and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, certainly it's such a painful part of our personal histories to talk about. Like, I, I, I still think back to like times when I was working at this place or like, you know, even previous places, it wasn't just localized to like a single coffee shop, but you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but um, you know, and, and these are deeply painful, um, deeply personal um, histories. So and and I just remember thinking, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but just thinking, am I attention seeking for wanting to make this a bigger deal than it is? And I think also a lot of that is conditioning as, um, you know, as a as a as a cisgender woman, like it, a lot of it is conditioning to to not be allowed to not make a fuss and so on and so forth. That that you know we've been we've been exposed to since we were kids. Um, so definitely stepping up and 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 starting the core is kind of like my big fuck you to the whole system and just being like my big fuck you not just to the patriarchy but to white professionalism in general because you don't you can't absolutely be professional and also be fucking angry like they're not mutually exclusive and i think that that's been a big part of my personal work ethos like i won't speak for the the whole of the core but like for sierra um that's definitely an energy that I bring to my work even now. If I'm not happy, I express myself. There's no, there's no like, uh, people love to make those TikToks where it's like you have to decode professional language on emails. And I'm just like, no way. Like I use as many exclamation marks as I want to. I tell people when I'm not happy about something or I tell people when I am happy about something. Like there's, there's this myth that we're contributing to. I feel that this empowers particularly people of color, especially when we don't end up speaking the language of white professionalism. Um, So I absolutely go into all of my spaces of work as honest as possible, um, as 
as tactful as possible um, when I need to be. And then if I do need to state to say the truth, I don't shy away from that. And I think that's the kind of energy that I'd love to see more of, if that makes sense. Because sometimes you do feel like a bit of a weirdo <laughs> when you're like, when you're expressing yourself. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was the one big takeaway, not just from the core and just being empowered by by creating this organization, but also for myself and saying, okay, there are things that I I will not stand by. And one of those things is not being honest, um, not being honest to my employees and not being honest to myself. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a two way street, I suppose. Right. It's difficult though, because I feel like it I don't know. I feel like as I've gotten older and you know, I've I've hit like a weird part of my career. Like right now I'm I'm doing only freelance work. And I'm still trying to contemplate if I could ever work for somebody else ever again, because I feel like so much of what you've said does resonate with me. There are things that I feel like I will not do anymore. I try not to do anymore. And yet I still fall into these traps of repeating some mistakes. And I have to imagine like, you know, I have this podcast, like I write about these things. Like if I'm still struggling with them, then like, what does that mean for other people? Um, Mm. And I think that there's a good lesson in what you've said of 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 being an example and saying like I'm gonna say fuck you to white professionalism and I'm gonna do the best that I can to do that but at the same time like that is hard work um and it often can be met with resistance or like you're the problem or uh, one of the reasons I left my last job was that my boss would continuously tell me that I was the only person who had problems with things and I was like what like, yeah, this is and, and I felt that like I felt like I was like, am I the problem? Am I the only one? And I don't know. Like I said, like there's so much gaslighting that that that's involved in trying to change the rhetoric around how work works, essentially. And it's really, really difficult. And I think it's not linear either. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that we emphasize that because I think it's really easy to be like, you know, it's really easy to like listen to this podcast or listen to you talk and be like, wow, like this sounds really easy. And it's not. It's like one step forward for me, at least for Ashley. It's one step forward, two steps back sometimes, or it's two steps forward, one step back or like eight steps forward, 20 steps back. Mm. Um, it takes it takes a lot. Um, and I think it's it's OK for that imperfection to exist, too. I feel like I need to acknowledge it. Yeah, no, I definitely want to caveat what I've said because I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that's like oozing privilege and I definitely it's do not wanna- it's not I, I I want to be clear on that it's it's just that like I think it's it, it it everything's contextual like and I think it's easy to like listen to this and be like cool she's got it all figured out but like that's I think that's not what you're saying at all but I think it's easy to take that you know what I mean yeah yeah I think I think what I yeah I think to contextualize a little bit more like it was and I will be completely honest, like the job that I currently have is the first job where I felt safe enough to dissent. And I, 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 I read this on like a thread somewhere or something like that on Instagram, on Twitter, but basically it said like, diver- it was talking about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And it said that diversity is, diversity is an easy te- like tick box exercise. You could amass any number of people in a room that come from diverse backgrounds of any sort and call that diversity. But it's, that's, if you go as far as that, that's shallow marketing. Inclusivity is being able to have any of these people dissent safely. And that really, that really stuck with me where I said, oh shit, that's, that's 
that's what I'm feeling in my current job. So I can be different and I can be honest and that might not be everyone's vibe, but it doesn't mean that I am in a place where I am in fear of losing my job for it. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. And that's a really good point. I'm glad that you pointed that out because I think you're absolutely right. It's easy to be like, we're a diverse place. Like, look at our staff. But like, if no one actually feels safe enough to dissent, then it doesn't mean anything. Like, exactly. it's again, it's checking a box. It's saying, mm-hmm. look at this. Like, cool, we did it and we're done. Versus yeah. this is an evolution. This is a process. And it involves listening to a lot of people and admitting that you're not right sometimes. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think the one thing as well, like, for, and this is kind of like, a shout out to Sierra from the past and I suppose maybe Ashley from the past as well, where it was like, I had to go through so many jobs where that didn't happen. And I absolutely, I absolutely do acknowledge that there are jobs in which people cannot dissent safely, um, even today, even still. So dissenting isn't necessarily as straightforward as, as we would, we would like it to be. Um, and certainly not as equitable as we'd like it to be, but I do honestly think Um, And I'm going to round this bit off with an an anecdote that I had that I really wanted to share at our trade show, but I didn't. So I'm going to share it here. Um, We're ready. Yeah. So basically we, um, I was meant to be hosting a panel called seats at the table. And this was a diversity, equity, and inclusivity talk um, specifically uh, for uh, the coffee industry. And what I didn't manage to mention at the time was that this year, um, Early this year, when uh, I think the Atlanta shootings were were kicking off or had kicked off, um, as well as I think there was a a case against uh, a couple of um, missing women um, in the country in the United Kingdom, um, where and their bodies had turned up. Um, I think a couple of weeks later, so there was just a really intense week during like International Women's Day, like you know early March. Um, and what had happened during that time was that I got racially harassed. Um, and again, it's not new. Um, it happened a lot when COVID first started, obviously being of Southeast Asian descent, I kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, and got racially harassed in March and just kind of like broke down on the street and was like, Oh my God, like, this is terrible. Um, I went home and this was on a, this was on a sales call. So this was on like a work, like during work hours. So I went home and I just kind of like shared it with a couple of close colleagues. And that was really the bridge where I, where I thought, oh my gosh, like I feel safe enough to share this with colleagues and not have them be like, are you sure you were just making stuff up or imagining things or whatever? Are you sure it was as bad as you said it was? Like there was none of that. People were like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like, I'm really sorry this has happened to you. And then gradually um, we escalated that through the business and what was truly what truly gave me closure was the business coming back and saying all right we hear you let's implement a protocol um to to make sure that yourself and your team like your field sales team are safe moving forward and and you know for you to be able to um report any sort of these instances um if they do happen again um and it's it's it, it was such a little but also big thing because i spoke about this with my team um, who have also had a couple of people have also had harassment incidences. And we said, wow, this is the first time we've been in a company that A, believes us and B, is doing something about it. And I was like, I was just kind of processing that for about a week after and thinking, this took eight years 
You know, this took like a career of eight years for me to find a company where I was finally, where I finally felt safe enough to be like, wow, they're listening and, and they hear me. And I suppose my point is for, especially for listeners of the podcast to say, please don't give up hope. Um, I know that there are a lot of structural um, difficulties when it comes to, for example, HR. I think a lot of, for example, smaller coffee com companies can't afford HR or haven't even considered HR, etc. But it is possible um, at, to to have a career in coffee and not feel like you're burning, you know, a candle burning at both ends. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of my point and uh, a really wholesome point to end on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to listen to stories like this for, for, for almost for both reasons, for the reason that you just ended on that there is hope and there is, there is a light hopefully at the end of the tunnel um, and things can get better. But at the same time, for people who maybe enter their careers and never have to think about these things, um, yeah. who don't yeah. even have to think about the fundamentals, they're like, yeah. oh, I know that I will be safe at work. I know that I will be listened to at work. I know that my complaints will be handled, or at least my basic safety will never be challenged um, for you to come on the other end and say, like, it took me eight years to find a place where I could even just establish that baseline. Yeah. Um, and thinking critically about like where are people at in their careers. Like sometimes I even think about my own career um, and I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, not older. I wouldn't say like I've, st you know, I'm 34, but sometimes I'm like, well, shoot, I wish I could be further along, but like this happened and this happened and this happened. And I have to remind myself that I had to establish a lot of safety and, you know, feeling listened to at work. Uh, to even feel like I could advance or get anywhere. Um, and I don't know, that comes back to that anger issue too. It makes me really angry. It makes yeah. me really angry that I couldn't just establish a career and establish, you know, a safety net for myself. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. I mean, it is here or there, but um, it's a little bit off point. Um, before we start to wrap things up, I want to ask you a little bit about your work at Alpro, um, because, yeah. you know, as baristas, we touch milk so much more often than we do probably coffee in a way, um, cause we steam so much milk and we make so many milk-based beverages. Um, and I'd, I'd say, you know, my, at my very last barista shift, um, I probably steamed more plant milk than I did cow milk. No so I was way. wondering, probably at least 50, 50 at this point. Pretty um, cool. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the things that are on your mind in terms of plant milk, um, really thinking about sustainability and really thinking about sustainability, not just as a, as an environmental concern, but as a social concern and as a, as a more like holistic concern. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it, it's so interesting because so, so many of these, um, social, social, little so many of these social justice movements um, kind of happened in the last year or so, and people are really kind of opening up to uh, opening up their eyes to the fact that a we we you know our planet is in dire straits, and we definitely need to start doing something about it. In fact, we should have been doing something yesterday. Um, so, with regards to plant-based products, um, it's definitely something that I didn't envision myself doing. But then when I did, I was like, oh wow, like. A, there's a demand for it and growing exponentially at that. Um, and also B, it's just almost kind of like a, why haven't we considered it sooner thing? Um, 
I talk to a lot of people in my line of work who um, have switched over to what, what, what we at Alpro call a flexitarian diet. So you're basically favoring more plant-based stuff. You won't rule out meat necessarily, but when you do consider meat, it's more ethically sourced. You're, you're just a little bit uh, more conscious about how you're consuming it, but then mostly it's plant-based. Um, and then obviously we cater to uh, you know people with vegetarian diets and vegan diets as well. And, and that's kind of where the big driver is, where people, I think, in lockdown weren't able to get their hands on dairy and then thought you know what this is now you know now as good a time as any to start experimenting with my diet and then a lot of them didn't switch back from plant-based after that which we think is amazing and, and I think a lot of discussions are happening um, which will likely propel plant-based more into the into the coffee spotlight um, but yeah I think with regards to ingredients uh, that's just so interesting because i think soya has always been around soya has been around for like the longest time um and back in the day i don't know if you remember this from when you used to drink soya actually if, if, if you ever did but um back in the day it was just like curdle heaven <laughs> we didn't know what stabilizers were we didn't know what acidity regulators were we didn't know what hydrochloroids were um you know so it wasn't soya and and i think most plant-based products in general at the time i would probably say 10 10 15 years ago were not engineered to work with coffee and if they were it was just an afterthought so people would just be like do you have anything that is a milk oh okay cool i'll take soya um it's a little bit different now but then also um deforestation was a big topic um as well and with alpro i think we we source all of our um we saw 60% of our soya locally in Europe, Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, France, Germany, and then we source the other 40% of our soya from Canada by boat. So we definitely don't touch any deforest, uh, deforestation areas, um, it, particularly in the Amazon. And then next up, we have almonds. Almonds is a little bit of an interesting one. I don't know if you've had similar discussions, obviously, because California is such a, um, you know, such a big producer of, of almonds. We source our almonds from the Mediterranean with um, natural rainfall. So we try not to irrigate, irrigate um, artificially. Um, and we also try to protect the ecosystem, particularly the bee ecosystem um, uh, surrounding these um, almond groves, uh, which I think is brilliant. And with almond, it's a little bit more interesting because there's so many different flavor profiles i think some people prefer like a more marzipani flavor profile or some people prefer you know completely unsweetened and so on and so forth um and that actually brings me to a very interesting segue a lot of people don't realize i think there's always this standard where uh plant-based has to kind of aspire to dairy's performance level mm -hmm. um and i don't know if that's a possible if it is we haven't found the technology to do that yet or someone would have already done it um but also b i don't know if that's necessarily something we want to to aim for because they're just completely different products they're completely different occasions with their own flavor profile so you know at as coffee professionals and sensory professionals i don't know if it's um a helpful paradigm to to, to hold ourselves to to try to limit plant-based products by saying that they should resemble dairy i think right. that there's certain aspects that could resemble dairy i think for example mouthfeel and creaminess are two quite you know important things that we that we look out for neutrality and so on and so forth but then um the way that i approach it in my work at alpro is it's more of like a bartender mixology point of view where it's like okay these are all different ingredients that taste completely different from each other 
how about we figure out how to pair them with coffees to best complement whatever is happening in the cup? Like surely that makes more sense. Um, as opposed to saying, oh, let's rank these ingredients in in order of how neutral they taste, because that doesn't make any sense to me. Right, um, right. It seems really interesting that we haven't approached plant-based milks in that way. Like, yeah. like I, I, I don't know. I've done, I've done, I've fallen down the rabbit hole with plant-based milks a little bit, and milk proteins are so unique, and they yeah. only exist in milk. Exactly. And they perform <laughs> the way that they do because they're milk so the fact that we are trying to mimic this thing seems technologically maybe impossible maybe it maybe maybe later it will be um but to say that like we're gonna i don't know in the in a way the coffee industry has sort of shot itself in the foot when it comes to plant-based milks because we did offer it as an alternative exactly you can't have dairy we have this other thing versus We have these two things that are both really excellent. They taste different, and this is how they taste different. And I wonder, as plant-based milks become more popular, do you think that that will start to shift? Because I still think that we're in a little bit of a conundrum when it comes to plant milks, where we still treat them as the alternative. And perhaps even picking the alternative has become cool or trendy or interesting, but it's not that we have posited these two things as different we still posited them as alternatives as opposed to like oh i I don't know i'm thinking about amaros for example like like those bitter liqueurs like all of those amaros kind of fall under the category of amaros but they all taste different and you can build drinks with all of them um like if you have a I'm, i'm i'm trying to think of a drink that's amaro based um and i can't think of any but if you switch out the amaros they're gonna taste different but you still fundamentally have the same sort of drink like you can mm-hmm. still have a latte with almond milk versus cow milk. They're going to taste different, but they're still fundamentally the same drink. And how do we think about things that go with them that will highlight all the flavors inside of them? Like, and also who, who decided that dairy was the, the, the standard of excellence and taste, you know, like I think it, it. Well, it's Eurocentrism. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it really behooves us to start questioning these norms. And I think that that is happening. And also, it's so interesting that you bring up, you know, the, the, the molecular composition of, of um, dairy, because a lot of what makes plant-based uh, products perform in coffee today is a, a blend of protein of, of some sort of plant-based lipids and um, acidity regulators, stabilizers, some sugar as well really helps. So when people, for example, ask me for unsweetened almond milk, I'm like, you do know that that's totally not going to work in coffee, by the way. Um, you know, just, it just doesn't work. Like we haven't, we haven't, you know, broken that frontier yet. Right. So that, that's definitely something to consider. And, you know, with, with oat and coconut as well, I think coconut gets a really negative rep and that's something that we've been trying to change at, um, at Alper recently because coconut, a lot of people tend to say, oh, and like it overwhelms like the flavor profile of coffee. I'm like, you do realize that there are big, boozy, natural coffees who will be able to hold their own in coconut and will create probably a banging drink. Like right. it, it's so I think as an industry, we need to stop restricting ourselves to get up out our own way and and really think about exploring different possibilities. You know, is there anything that you'd want people to know about I feel like we covered a lot of different topics, but very, very quickly. Um, so yeah, is there anything that you would want people to know about you or about your work at Alpro or about the core that we didn't cover? 
Um, I would probably say for people, I, like I would love for people to do their research. Um, I think when it comes to things that you don't know much about, whether or not it's, you know, social justice movements, whether or not it's about equity, equality, diversity, etc. And then also when it comes to plant-based choices in your life so you know if you want to if you want to pursue a new ingredient or if you want to try something out from a new brand um because we're seeing so much competition in that market at the moment and that competition is good it's a good thing um but i definitely say try to be as discerning as possible with your choices uh with what you support um as particularly with plant-based products um find out where they're sourced uh Try to find out more about the supply chain of the ingredient if you can, um, the credentials of the company, you know, whether or not they're B Corp certified, for example, and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like for me, it's it's just access to information and making sure that you are making as um, informed a choice as possible. Sierra, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. No, man, this is great. This is so wonderful. Um, I really, I've been such a fan of your podcast for the longest time and the work that you do. And this was such an honor. That was Sierra Yo, founder of the Core Directive and coffee specialist for Alpro UK. You can find out more about the Core Directive by visiting them on Instagram at the Core Directive. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.